Hey guys, if you're anything like me, when you're out there on the course, you're not laying it up. And now you can let everybody know with your very own Running It with Nate Sexton t-shirt brought to you by our friends at VII Apparel CO. VII Apparel CO, formerly the Savage Apparel Company, is the official apparel partner of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. They have the official jersey partner of Joe Mez Pro, and they're the official jersey partner of our host, Nate Sexton. And now you can get your very own Running It With Nate Sexton shirt at viiapparel.co. VII Apparel is the home of all your disc golf apparel for when you're out on the course. They represent disc golfers like Nate Sexton, Chris Dickerson, Avery Jenkins, Madison Walker, and so many more. Home of the Disc Golf Pro Shop, where you can start your own disc golf apparel line with VII. VIIapparel.co is your one-stop company for all your custom apparel needs. They do it all, from screen printing and embroidery, a great partner for tournaments, clubs, or teams. VII Apparel CO creates the best jerseys in disc golf. Make sure you check out viiapparel.co to see all of their other offerings as well. Grab your first edition Running It With Nate Sexton t-shirt. Get your pre-order in now at viiapparel.co. This is Ricky Wysocki, and you're listening to Running It With Nate Sexton. Hey, Running It With Nate Sexton fans. I wanted to take a second and introduce our newest CBD partner and supporter of the show, and that's the folks over at Hempfield Botanicals. Now, Hempfield Botanicals may sound familiar to you because they are the official CBD partner of the Disc Golf Pro Tour and now the official CBD partner of Running It with Nate Sexton. When I'm out on the disc golf course, there's two things that are real important to me. I want to feel good and I want to play better. And I've been able to do that with the help from our friends over at Hempfield Botanicals. Guys, disc golf has a lot of wear and tear on the body, just like any other sport. This is why it is necessary to take proper measures to ensure your body stays in good health. You can do this just like I have with Hempfield Botanicals CBD Muscle Recovery and Salve. The muscle recoveries for those general aches and pains after a long day on the course, why the salve provides concentrated relief for areas that are causing more pain, such as inflamed joints or nerves. I've used the products that they sent to me and it's made a world of difference both during and after my rounds. These products are recommended by physicians, orthopedic surgeons, neurologists, physical therapists, and these products provide muscle recovery and pain relief for athletes. Hempfield Botanicals is a certified B Corporation, one of only 4,026 certified companies worldwide who use their business as a force for good. Guys, check out Hempfield Botanicals. Use code RUNIT20 and save 20% off. You guys are going out there, you're throwing discs, you're walking these courses, you owe it to yourself to make sure you're keeping your body in the best shape that you possibly can. And our friends over at Hempfield Botanicals are making that possible. It's organically grown hemp, no side effects, and just an all around great feel during and after your round. Guys, remember Hempfield Botanicals, feel good, play better. We want to thank them for sponsoring this podcast and we hope you check them out. Running It with Nate Sexton is brought to you in part by Innova Champion Discs, the choice of champions.
Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is professional disc golf's Swiss Army knife. All the utilities. He is the 13th highest ranked player in the world. He is a live coverage announcer, a post-coverage announcer, and the host of this podcast, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man? Man, better every time after I hear these intros. They keep getting more extravagant. It's great. Well, dude, what don't you do, right? You, I mean, you're doing it all. Last week you're playing. Now you're doing live coverage. Sure. Yeah, I try to stay involved. I try to try to get my podcast out. But so I got to apologize to our diehard fans. It's my fault, not Jarrett's, that we had a, a few weeks off here because it's just being out on the road. It's busy and trying to book guests and trying to play and do all this coverage. Uh, you know, maybe they maybe they make an even bigger Swiss Army knife. Maybe if I could get even a couple more tools, I'd be able to keep all those balls in the air at the same time. But I'm happy to be back doing this now. Now, Nate, before we get into today's amazing interview, I want to take a second and thank our official retail sponsor. And that's our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com. You guys have heard us talk all about Fisher Disc Golf and the amazing selection of disc golf discs and apparel that they have on their website constantly updating new things. They were one of the official sponsors at Ledgestone. You guys might've seen their signs uh, advertised on the tee boxes. And of course they got that Ledgestone disc drop release. So for our collectors out there, you can visit Fisher Disc Golf and they have a lot of those Ledgestone plastic left. Of course they carry over 18 different brands. You can follow them on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Fisher Disc Golf, home of the disc stacks where they do the disc stacks. Uh, You get to purchase a number, pick a stack, you find out what disc you got right there. It's really kind of a neat thing. So you should check that out as well. Uh, We're being able to put this show out there for free because of you guys going out there and supporting our sponsors. So visit FisherDiscGolf.com, pick out a new disc, get yourself a t-shirt. And Nate, just for listening to this show, they save themselves a little bit of money, right? Yeah, use our code RUNIT10 to save 10% at checkout on your first order, and you can't beat free shipping at FisherDiscGolf.com. Yeah, absolutely. I, those Swiss Army knives, I can never get the tweezers out of the back of them. Those <laughs> things were always the – but, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm sitting here looking at you're doing a little bit of everything. And, hey, I know the, the fans have stuck with us. They sent the comments. They understand. They know you're out there playing, and, uh, and it's great to have you back out, on the, back out on the course. And, again, now this week you're calling live uh, out there in Bend, and you're doing it with some, uh, some pretty awesome teammates in the booth with you. Nate, I'm super excited about today's episode. Um, You know, we've had some current players on and that's always fun, but I think kind of what we're getting known for is, is telling a little bit of the history uh, from right before this huge boom exploded. And uh, we've got another hall of fame episode lined up. Who are we running it with today? Yeah, we're lucky today. I think we've got probably the most decorated player left that we haven't had on the show like top of our list player that we have to have to tell the story of the history of disc golf we've got four-time pdj world champion two-time u.s women's champion five-time pdga player of the year and disc golf hall of famer valerie jenkins welcome to the show good to be here i have been waiting for the call nate let me tell you i mean the (laughs) podcast is awesome you have my brother on the show of course nate on the show so happy to be here yeah we are happy to have you and i really do think you know as far as we've had a lot of there's there really aren't that many players on with your level of achievement in disc golf so i you're the last one we're getting to but that's not that's just a scheduling issue not a preference issue but i think you know there's only a couple players with as many major titles as you 
maybe one, maybe Ken Climo. I haven't even crunched the numbers. You might be almost the second best. So we're really excited to have you here and get to hear some of the stories of your disc golf career. I, I can't wait to share them. I'm Sweet. excited what you got for Sweet. me. Sweet, yeah. I'll well, try and go back into my memory Yeah, banks. yeah, yeah. You got to get back in disc golf mode. It's been a, been a little bit since you've been on the tour, but I think we're going to stir up some uh, some old stuff and hopefully hear some good stories and just kind of get a sense for how you came to the game. We heard a lot of it, you know, by proxy through Avery and through Nate in talking, because obviously you're coming up. And when I'm trying to congratulate Avery on the success of your family, he was very nice and kept going, well, actually, you know, 90% of the work is getting done by Val in terms of NT titles and major titles. And that's true because you do have the lion's share of all those trophies uh, at the house when you're, when you're younger, I'm sure. But uh, we, we kind of start at the beginning. So I'd like to hear it from you. I know your whole family played and people have called it, you know, the Jenkins family, the first family of disc golf and all this stuff. But uh, I want to hear about kind of the beginning, you know, as a as a high schooler and and how you felt about, you know, did disc golf seem cool to you when you were first starting or were you kind of like on the fence about it and then got better at it or just in your own words, what how it all started? Well, it started back. My parents started playing. I'm sure Avery told this whole story in, in more detail. So check out that podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but my family we did everything on the golf course. When my parents started playing, they were very involved. You know, they picked up the sport pretty quickly, but then just being the people that they were, they were looking for ways to help out. So I grew up on the disc golf course because my parents were always there, whether they were playing or manicuring the course or selling discs, we just grew up on Roscoe Ewing park. And so as a kid, you know, I was basically born into the sport. My brother Avery, he was eight years old, so he could pick up the sport pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, as a little girl, I would play just for fun. You know, I have some pictures of me being my dad's doubles partner in the weekly and, you know, just going out there and having fun. But, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm saying like 10 years old, <laughs> I, I, didn't necessarily want to do what my parents were doing or sure. what my brother was doing because it wasn't what my friends were doing. Yeah. And so I just, I would still get drug along to tournaments and to courses, but disc golf just was not my thing. It wasn't something that I thought was cool. I, you know, I just, I didn't like it. And as much as I'd love to tell the story of, yeah, it's th from the first time that I picked up a disc, I was obsessed with it and I always played, but no, I didn't really start playing tournaments or playing, uh, for the love of it for myself until I was about 15 years old. So that's a lot of time to be around the sport. I mean, that was full-time thing for my parents. My brother was very into it, but I was that rebellious snotty nose kid that didn't want <laughs> anything to do with it, but I, it did develop. Of course. Yeah. I, I got to think that's not all totally you're not unique in that in a family that's so into something to be kind of like wanting to forge your own path and do something different especially something kind of as niche and and you know quote unquote weird as disc mm -hmm. golf you know to your peers as you're just kind of coming up in school and they're going what do you what do you as your family do every weekend okay i never tried it yeah i think we're kind of getting out of that now as the game is exploding where people are seeing it a little bit more uh like more people are going to know what it is, but you're talking, you know, nineties, late nineties, maybe not quite as much. Right. Yeah. And, and as I was getting older, I mean, when I was about 15, 16, 
that's when I found friends in the sport that I enjoyed playing with and, and found my own group to hang out with. And that's when disc golf, I felt like it, it could be an outlet. Uh, you know, I got my license, I'm able to drive around and go to courses and meet up with people. And so it was kind of still not something I was fully into, but it was, it gave me opportunities. And that's where I think it all started clicking for me. So 2001 is going to put us kind of right on that line of when you like it and you don't like it. It's hard to say, uh, but you did win the junior world championship that year. So what do you remember about your headspace then as far as how much you wanted to be doing what you're doing and, and just where was that tournament and what do you remember about it? Well, I don't remember playing too many tournaments before this. So I'm 15 years old. Uh, there weren't a lot of juniors players as mm -hmm. I'm sure you were familiar yeah. with when you were playing as a kid, but I'd never played in amateur, like in the juniors divisions. If I'm playing in a tournament, I was playing an amateur, but playing with people that were at least five, 10 years older than myself. So it was always just a strange thing to get used to. Um, and I believe the first tournament that I ever went out to, I took it down. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because you've been around it, you know, even if like it or not, you're pretty good at it at that you're already at that time. Yeah. And without a, a ton of like practice on the courses or, you know, developing my game, I think it was just all absorbed from all the people that I had seen through the years and all that. So right when I got into the sport and started playing competitively, I was already good. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. And so of course my parents completely supportive, you know, wanted to be, have my back. And thankfully, uh, the first amateur worlds that I went to was in Nashville, Tennessee. I grew up in Ohio, so not that far of a drive down to Tennessee and had my family support there. And I had a field of girls that I played against that were my age, yeah. which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's got it. And, and then obviously to be able to win, you know, that's fun too. So it's like, you, there's that things, things get more enjoyable when you're doing well and you're having that positive feedback and you're, you know, people are saying, wow, and people are impressed by what you can do, but that's great. Cause I think I, I definitely dealt with that coming up as a kid, but I think easily five to 10 times tougher as a female, as far as finding peers to play with, right. at, you know, especially in that area. And, and even still today, as a young girl, how often are you going to have a division of more than two people or maybe three, you'd be lucky to have that locally at B tiers and things like that. So, yeah. And it, I think we had four. Yeah. The world and that probably felt like a dream, you know, like, <laughs> right. you, like we have a whole card of girls that can play and we can all compete and get to know each other. That's cool. Exactly. So yeah, that was, that was fun to actually, I think that's the biggest highlight of motivation for people to go out and play the world championships, especially at a young age, because these kids, you know, they pick it up, but they're usually playing on the course with their parents. And, you know, how do you compare your game of a 10 year old person to a 40 year old person yeah. it's like going out and competing with somebody your age and, and seeing how you rank against yeah. kids around the world. It's pretty incredible. And not to put you on the spot and it's fine if you don't remember, but to any of those girls, still play today or how, did they have any kind of disc golf career later where you'd cross paths with them or was it just kind of this, you know, one and done thing where you never really saw any of those people again? I saw, uh, I would say at the next couple of amateur worlds, um, but never competed against them when the pro ranks never saw anybody stick around that sure, far. Sure. Not yeah. so easy to make it maybe all the way to the top, but 
let's let's talk a little bit more about those next couple of years that led up to you being the 2004 rookie of the year. So now we're talking about playing professionally and, you know, you're moving up through amateurs and then eventually. So 2004 is, is that when you graduated high school? Mm-hmm. Okay. 18 years old. Yeah. So yeah, then you're starting to play some professional tournaments in Ohio largely, or is there a little bit more travel even than that? Oh yeah. We did tons of traveling. Yeah. So that's what my parents did. That's what my yeah. family did. We, you know, I always say like most families were gearing up to go on a big trip, maybe to Disneyland or, you know, go, go traveling somewhere. Always our summers revolved around where the world championships were being held. And so my parents would make a trip, you know, we, fortunately enough, I mean, they could take out a month in the summer. And so we got to spend a lot of time together traveling around. And of course that's, obviously how it all developed for Avery and I to kind of be familiar with traveling. Um, But the interesting part of me going into pro, which you don't see that often is we would have the amateur world championship and then, you know, a week, two weeks, or maybe a month later would be the pro worlds. Yeah. And so that was like the easy transition of players who were at the top in the professional standing or in the amateur standings, excuse me, to, all right, well, I did it. And, you know, whether I won or got second, you know, I gave it my all and now I'm officially going to turn pro. Yeah. And so that was me in 2003. Um, I had competed in one other AM worlds before that, but AM worlds, 2003, Kansas city. Okay. I ended up getting second place behind Nikki Ross, who was an absolute shredder in the amateur division at this point. I think she won four or five amateur world titles stacking them up. Yeah. And so she actually, she was working her way to a, um, a scholarship. Okay. And she didn't want to disc golf or taking cash to interfere with her getting a scholarship. So she, I don't think she ever turned pro, but she is one name that I think gets could've, lost in yeah, history could have ma- made it maybe with a different plan or different priorities not to say she didn't make the right choices who knows but yeah some obviously very she talented incredible yeah so even in my first playing in juniors I was actually playing with her little sister oh okay and so years later I'm finally playing in the advanced division I get to compete against Nikki Ross and I get second place Nevertheless, it was my ambition to move up that year. And my first world was out in Flagstaff. So continue with my family. That's when I turned pro. But my first full season was in 2004. Yeah. But by that time, Avery's like out being a disc golf superstar already, kind of like some of the first touring like lifestyle people that ever did it was like Avery and that whole Winnie crew thing. Right. And that's like even a little earlier. Like, so you're kind of traveling. It's just you and your parents at this point because Avery's out there. Right. trying to trying to make that that dream happen and see if that even is a possible dream for people yeah. you know obviously there's like because even ken climo was like working a job you know and winning these worlds and being dominant but avery's like you know that first generation and maybe even like one of the first five guys to like go you know what maybe i'll try to take this thing take this show on the road and like have this be my my income source. Right. Right. Definitely a pioneer in the touring professional lifestyle, but then you got to think of Schwebby yes. and McCray and Crump. I mean, they're traveling and it was like a whole crew. Yeah. When my brother was out there on the road, a bunch of people traveling in their RVs 
that's truly where the fun day Monday came yeah. from because yeah. everybody was hanging together because there were so few people that were doing it for a living. And so for Avery to jump on board with that, I knew that could be a possibility in my future, but I don't know if I ever saw myself there, even though I'd been playing. And now at this point, I turned pro. I've only been really playing for three, four years, um, but it he definitely opened the door of me like thinking that could happen. But of course, I want to be on the traditional route, do what my friends are doing. Yeah, and again it's the there's there's a a tough thing a barrier of gender there it like un, undoubtedly that if if the men in disc golf could barely imagine doing it the women's payouts are going to be you know 250 is probably a great payout at, at at tournaments in those days right so it's like there just isn't really a path to like well i'm making pan for gas and that you know i have food when you're 18 maybe that's okay for a couple of years but you're going to get sick of it quick trying to just scrape by so I, I, I am not surprised at all to hear you say that, like, this was not a plan A to go and make disc golf, professional disc golf, a, a big time career and become a disc golf celebrity and all that. But um, is it that you weren't, it's not. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, that almost didn't exist. Yeah, right. It's yeah. like it's that's that's a, a different it's a different time for sure, even though it wasn't even that long ago. Uh, for old timers like you and I, I guess, you know, <laughs> no, I don't know when that happened. It's sad. Yeah. But I'm not going to actually yeah. count the years. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow it happened. But yeah, so that's great. And then uh, into that. So that rookie of the year season, that had to be kind of a nice honor. But I, I doubt you had a whole ton of competition there at, for the rookie of the year award. Or was it did you, or did, were you even really aware of the race for rookie of the year? Or was it just kind of like, oh, cool. I guess I, I guess I'm rookie of the year. Yeah. I rem- So when you mentioned that like, Avery giving me statistics and, and talking in my game, he's always the one I kind of refer to yeah. because he has such an incredible knowledge base of remembering numbers, dates, years, all those things. Courses. Yeah. And I am sure at this point he's telling me, you know, how close it is. Yeah. If you win this, you'll get this many points. Yeah, and... I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know how it all went down, but I'm sure it was like, Oh, all right. That's a cool yeah, thing to great. win. Great. That sounds yeah. like a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cause it, at that point I was just trying to do my best and, so, you know, competing as well as I could. And I guess that's just the bonus at the end of it. Yeah. And so then graduate high school, what was, what was next for you after that? Oh, all right. Let's think 2004 to graduate high school. I remember, and this is like a kind of funny side tangent. Cause I'm thinking, all right, now that I have played a few more tournaments, I am traveling around. What, what could I do? Can I can I do something different? And at this time doing school online, choosing college courses online, that was such a new thing. And again, this isn't that long ago, but I went up to my uh, counselor at school and said, you know, you had to talk with them about your future and what college you wanted to go to and submit applications. And I remember asking if, if that's a possibility, you know, how do I apply for a school online? How do I do this? And don't mean to throw them under the bus, but they said they had nothing for me. Yeah. And so it was either go to school, stay in one location or go out and travel and play disc golf while you figure everything out. Yeah. And so that's what I did. So right out of high school. Yeah. I kind of went traveling I travel a little bit with my parents. I remember jumping on the road with Avery a few times, especially for the world championships and just kind of floated by the seat of my pants, seeing what would happen because I knew the fact of 
I'd be missing out on a lot sure. if I went to school right now. Yeah. And I don't know what degree I want. I didn't, I didn't have that vision. So I did take that year off. And then back in 2005 is actually when I decided to go to school. Mm-hmm. Not because I figured out my degree, but because some of my best friends in school got a room that they wanted to rent out to me and said, all right, <laughs> sure, sure. I'll go to school for a year. And I mean, it was an amazing time. I nailed every course and partying 101. <laughs> and it was an incredible year of my life. But now we're going through the school year and I'm thinking, wow, I could be in Vegas. I could be at the Memorial. And these are things that I had to miss out on because I was in school and I'm going, wait, if I don't have a a direct career path, I'm wasting money here, even though I'm having a good time. So we figured things out. And I actually, through that process, talked with Leslie, now Brinster, Carrie Burlogger, and we decided that, yeah, I should go on tour. Let's see how we can make this happen. Yeah. I can remember seeing you guys as a a touring kind of unit early in my career. And I I totally makes sense to me. It just kind of blows my mind when I think about it. Cause you know, I've, I've lived a pretty disc golf heavy life and I'm a disc golf insider surely, but the, the degree to which you and Nate and Avery have been in it since you're little and just know everybody Mm -hmm. all over the world. Like it's even like a level or two deeper than what I do, you know, cause like when I'm with you guys in another city, it's just some old guy is like, hey, and, you, and you guys, Oh, that's Johnny, whatever, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I know I've been around a long time, but it's like, you guys bridge all the way back to the beginning because of your parents and because of your family. And it's just like, it makes sense to me that you're kind of like, well, what the memorial's going right now. And everyone I know is there and I'm not there. Like, so that, that, that would call to you because you know, you're going to, you have a chance to play well for one. And then it's just, you know, you're on there checking scores and like, dang, everybody's probably having a great time. And it makes sense that, that the road would, uh, would have something to say that, that to, to try to pull you back out there. And it, it sure did. Yeah. And thankfully for Burl, she had uh, some money in her family and was able to buy an RV and needed somebody to travel with yeah, her. And yeah. so I, I took her up on that offer and I was like, all right, let's do it. I mean, like you were mentioning, there weren't a lot of women playing. You weren't making a ton of money, even if you were playing very well. Uh, so just to have an opportunity to travel with another woman, to be out on the road, you know, to go down this career of being a disc golfer, I couldn't pass yeah. up the opportunity. I knew it was going to be a fun time. Burl and I got along so well. And it went on for some years and it was incredible. I mean, so many opportunities, whether it was just traveling in the RV uh, with Burl and picking up friends along the way and having him stay with us from a couple tournaments in a row. I mean, Nate jumped in there a few times. Avery would jump in. Uh, we had Matty O and Barsby and Climo and uh, Marcus Kalstrom yeah. came in. So it wasn't just this set crew all the time. Of course it was just Burl and I leading it, but we would have, we would open our door and welcome anybody that needed a ride to the next event, which was super fun. Yeah. Okay, now, so Nate, so Jared's going to come in. Jared's got to yeah, do his thing here. Just for a second here. Um, just to give our listeners an idea of what you guys are talking about. Uh, in 2005, 
Valerie played in 24 professional tournaments, earning $3,794. So just to give an idea, I just pulled up a random. This year, Haley King has played in 14 tournaments, earning $24,030. Wow. Now, in 2005, in those 24 tournaments, Val's worst finish was sixth place, and that only happened three times. The rest of those were first, second, and thirds, uh, including third place at 2005 Worlds, which paid her $600. That was her highest of the year. Wow, that's good info, and that just really drives it home, how, how much the game has changed and how much more viable that lifestyle is regardless of gender it's growing for everybody but man that's tough $3,700 on 24 weekends that's <laughs> that's not uh that's not even buying gas and food yeah it it took a lot of help and and I remember there was a point um you know it was a college kid so I didn't have a lot of money and so I'm thinking you know how how can I stay on the road and oh, I'm not gonna ask my parents again and there was one big tournament it only happened once and I wanted to make sure that I was going to Japan that last this year and 2006, I believe it was international women's cup. It happened in Kamloops, BC. Oh yeah. So the top names of the sport, Juliana Corver, Des is going to be there. Burl and I were going to be there. I mean, there weren't a lot of women's tournaments at this time. And so everybody was culminating in Canada for this large women's event. And we knew it was going to have a big payday and kind of put a spotlight on the women. And that was one of my biggest finishes uh, at that time. Uh, I was able to take it down and I think I went head to head. It was Juliana down the stretch and she was having some pretty severe putting issues at this time in her career and took advantage. I I won the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think you're pulling up the stats. Oh, I've got it for you right here. Yeah. It was a tie. It went to sudden death. Can you remember anything about the playoff? I I was probably nervous as hell. I don't (laughs) have no idea, but I remember it was the, the payday at the end of that tournament you know, solidifying the win there. That is what propelled me to go to Japan. This is now for my second time to go to Japan and, and the money helped me get there. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was $810. It sounds somewhat modest now, but at the time it was was big and (laughs) there's probably, yeah. And, and just scrolling down, I knew that I knew about this tournament. I wasn't there, but just for our listeners and for you, I wonder if you might take a guess who won the advanced women. There's probably no way you'll get this right. Bree? It was my stepmother. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> my stepmother was there and took down advanced women uh, by 20 shots. So she was, uh, yeah, so that's cool. She, she always crushed. I remember. She would win by big yeah. margins. I remember that my, my dad and stepmom went up there. It was before I, I played a little bit in Kamloops a couple of years later, but I wasn't there for that one. But yeah, that's great. I, I had forgotten about that event until you had just uh, brought back those memories of them going up there, but yeah, big win for you clearly. And a playoff over, you know, the, the queen, you know, in the, in, at the, at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so it was super nerve wracking for me because 
I'm trying to earn my stripes. I'm yeah. trying to, you know, stay at the top and compete well, but it was, it was tough to break through, you know, every generation has had those one player or a couple players. And if you can find yourself into that mix, I mean, you're, there's no stopping you. You can continue to do it, but it's really hard to break through that. Yeah. And yeah. That I felt like was one of my breaks breakthrough moments. Yeah. Well, Juliana doesn't want you to break through just like you didn't want Paige Pierce to break through. And then yeah. later in yeah. your career, it's like, then there, here comes Paige. And it's the next, it happens to everybody. The next one's yeah. come and you do your best to keep them, tell them, Hey, wait one more year. Stay away. Stay away. Yeah. Youngster, <laughs> yeah. You'll learn someday, yeah, but they, uh, they learn quick. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's cool to come up, go up there. Was that had you played in Canada at an, another time, or I guess probably Toronto, maybe Toronto a ton. Yeah, yeah. that was just a few that hours drive okay. from us. Yeah. Well, we gotta now that you mentioned an RV, that's something that we do on the show. We've got to hear what you remember about that RV that Burl bought, and what we're particularly interested in is an RV horror story. So as bad mm-hmm. as it got, if there was anything, it sounds like maybe she bought something a little nicer. So maybe you guys didn't have the the real horror stories that we've heard of wheels falling off and tanks breaking and all that kind of stuff. But if anything comes to mind, the fans will, they won't let me get away without asking you that question. <laughs> How big was this thing? Do you remember? It was huge. Yeah. It was a massive RV. I want to say 26 feet. I don't know. It was one of the larger ones. Yeah. But... That's, that's honestly even pretty small for an RV is 26. It could have been even bigger. Yeah. So a big one. Yeah. Give big me old, yeah. You know, big one. 50- be like 40. 59 feet. Or yeah, something. probably was. Fi- I think I do remember it was 59. <laughs> it had that painted on the side. Yeah. So we're driving this massive <laughs> RV. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it was pretty new. Um, so we don't have any, like, can't remember any crazy maintenance issues. Did you ever get ants in there? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I, it, that could have been the scuzzy RV that my brother was traveling in. I, so. got <laughs> I dealt with that. You get. You get in the wrong campsite. It wasn't even like if you're in the wrong campsite, your RV could be pretty clean. I had a brand new RV and we still got, we had ant issues at times and it was tough. You had to find all the traps and get oh, them yeah. out of there. Cause they crawl up the little jacks. <laughs> when you put the jacks down, they're uh-huh. coming in, they're looking for anything. Swarm, swarm, Yeah, swarm. man. Uh, yeah. The only stories that are going through my mind are all the insane partying times. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, I'm, not of le- legal drinking age, but just about there. And I just remembered like so many insane parties. I mean, we truly embraced, you know, celebrating every tournament, hanging out with the people that we stayed with, you know, parked our RV in front of their house for a week and really made the most of the time that we spent with people. So, uh, yeah, some insane parties and, you know, I'm sure trashing the RV at times, but. Yeah. All right. I, I don't want to call anybody out. So sure, we'll sure. skip over those stories, but have well, a year at Bevel and I'll tell you more. <laughs> I was going to say the nice thing, the nice thing about that now, Val, is you can say that it was really just research and development. You were tasting beer and getting, you know, you had to, you were preparing to open up your own brewery. So you had to do a lot of beer drinking to get ready for that. Yes. Had to do a lot of beer drinking. Yeah. And, and I got showed the right way. Uh, Burl loves craft beer. Uh, I hung out with a bunch of people that, yeah, not only showed me the way in life because I'm a young adult. I don't know what the heck I'm doing out there. You know, a lot of people a lot older than me, you know, showing me the right way to do things, which was awesome. And I feel like that's similar to how Nate grew up as well. You know, we were in this sport 
deferral was, uh, let's think in my head, at least 10, 12 years older than me. And I'm traveling in this RV with, with people that are substantially older than me, uh, competing with people that are 10, 15 years older than me. And so you really kind of adapted your mentality when you're hanging out with people like of that age and kind of just, all right, if they're doing that, that that's cool with me. Yeah. They're my crew. Sure. And I feel like when I'd come back home to Ohio and I'd hang out with my girlfriends and, you know, I tell them these stories or introduce them to these people that I'm hanging out with all year long. Yeah. They're going, it doesn't make sense. Wait, to, they're 40. Yeah. The, uh, normal you know, people. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. But in the world of disc golf, you know, we all have this common love for the sport, love traveling, you know, always hung out together. So it was, yeah, something that I don't think the rest of the world could understand. Sure. Well, it's time to go to Wisconsin and Highbridge Hills in 2007, the site of your first professional world title. Uh, what do you remember about that week, about those courses? Just kind of what comes to mind when you think back to winning that first big one. And and as an aside, Nate Doss also was cha- was victorious. There. Oh, he won that one? I... You didn't no. realize? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really crazy. So the whole buildup to that tournament was a little insane because I, I think we had played in Columbus the week before or a couple weeks before, and we actually drove immediately up to Wisconsin to get a couple of practice rounds in. And so I jumped in the RV with Avery and Dave Feldberg, and we got up to Wisconsin, got some practice rounds in, and we flew out to Japan. So within a week of the world happening, we flew to Japan for the Dodge B world championship. Oh, wow. Which is like, this is like a foam Frisbee that you're trying to hit people with. Yeah, you're basically playing dodgeball with a foam frisbee. Manufactured by Hero Disc. Yes. So wow. it, all these young kids competing against each other, I think different schools for, uh, around Japan. And we went out there, Nagoya Dome, I want to say. So it's in Nagoya, Japan. And we flew out there with um, Craig Hosfeld, uh, with, I, I want to say, Climo was there, but I don't think he was, but we got brought out there. So Hosfeld's showing the kids tricks, Frisbee tricks. And, and he's kind of the MC of our, our crew. I believe crazy John Brooks was there as well. And we were there to promote disc golf. And so it was almost like a halftime show, but this is still right before the worlds. Like you practice for the worlds, then you go to Japan then you come right back and start the worlds. Yes. Oh, that's crazy. So we, just did this little highlight thing for a few days there. No tournament. It was just all presentation. Just dodging bees. Yeah. Just dodging bees, watching kids overhand. I mean, they're throwing it overhand at each other. So they're not actually like learning the correct throw of a Frisbee. Well, there's nothing correct on the dodge. (laughs) You just sling it. You just throw it as hard as you can. Yeah. Um, But so we, we have an awesome time in Japan. We fly back to the States and within a few days, we're playing the world championships. Wow. So not only are we dealing with kind of that jet lag feeling, but it's hot, it's humid. You know, we, this is when the world was immensely long, a whole week of playing multiple courses. And so it was just kind of a time it, I was in a warp zone. Yeah. Um, 
And it wasn't until there was one breakthrough round that I had. Perhaps this 993? Or that 1001. Well, I mean, they're back to back. They're yeah. both They're both moving you in the right direction. Yeah. So that's now we're in the round four and five out of the six round tournament plus. Really no, seven. Seven, seven round rounds tournament and a final. The final nine. Exactly. And I remember we had the field events and, and you know, all the fun things of, of what Worlds makes that Worlds week. The craziest thing for me, I'm going to bed early. I'm trying to kind of get my body to adapt back to the time zone and everything. And there was one night I go, you know, screw it. I'm going to stay up. I'm going to have a good time. I remember enjoying that time and stayed up pretty late and I actually met this local kid who offered a caddy for me the next day. And I'm like, sure. Why not? That next day, possibly a little hungover, (laughs) but I had an amazing caddy on my bag. And that is when I shot an incredible round to kind of boost me back into the tournament, kind of getting back into my regular routine. And yeah, it was, I couldn't breathe until that last putt was in the basket because I couldn't really truly understand the magnitude of what was happening, but I just knew I was so focused to win the worlds. Yeah. Some quick math would, would look like you were down about eight shots to Angela. Is it cheek fry? Is that right? Angela cheek fry. And then took four strokes with that new caddy and a little, uh, some libations. Uh, (laughs) You you, you end up taking uh, five strokes off. Uh, the next round and then eight more the round after that. So then, then you're kind of in the driver's seat at that point. Yeah. And that round with getting eight strokes back, we didn't have a ton of film crews out there, but there actually is, uh, some video of that round and it's insane. And even when I look back on it now, like I can still pull it up. I think I have it on my YouTube channel, but I hit some insane putts that, you know, when we were watching now on live disc golf, I'm like, that is the best shot I've ever seen. I was consistently hitting those in that one round. I mean, 80 footer, 90 foot, you know, working these way through these crazy wooded fairways. It was some of the best golf that I think I've ever played. And it was in that, that small breakthrough moment. Jarrett, you know where we're getting the video for the Instagram teaser for this episode, right? Oh, yep. Found it. Perfect. (laughs) That, that's the, those are the shots we need. All right. That's awesome. <laughs> that was actually that 2007 worlds. The course was called Highbridge Hills. It was in Wisconsin. It was like this three course, four course complex. Right. It was my first pro worlds. My family and I drove out there for that. Uh, and I, I had already met you and Avery and Dave before that, when they moved to Oregon, I can remember mm-hmm. meeting you at my home course, probably around 2003 or four. Okay. Uh, when you guys were at my home course, Adair, for just like a winter tournament that you must have just been out to see their new place and just traveling or something. But uh, but yeah, that was the first Pro Worlds that I ever attended. And uh, I have great memories of it. I remember it was kind of like the first big multi-course private type complex place I'd ever heard of. And it just sounded like a dream come true to go to this place where there's all these courses in one place. I remember like a 1500 foot hole or something crazy. Yeah, so it was massive it, it, up on top of a hill. And then they had uh, cabins yeah. on the property. And actually, one of the things that we were promised by winning the world was that we would have a, a timeshare. Oh, 
I've never taken it up. I, I mean, Nate and I should cash in on this sometime. Yeah, you got two but of them. I don't know when we want a vacation in Wisconsin. We'll, we'll, we'll get it figured out after we're done <laughs> recording. We'll get you guys booked in. I'm sure we can. I'm oh, sure we can pull a few. Could always use some cheese curds. Yeah, absolutely. Fry them up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, you you went on to win t- 2007 Worlds, 2008 Worlds as well. I'm going to skip straight to 2009 Worlds because that's Kansas City, and that's when you and your brother Avery won at the exact same time, and it's kind of a a great memory even for me just being there and seeing you guys celebrate it and being there and the watching the final nines go down and everything. Uh, he he told us how he felt about it. I'm sure you feel the same way, but but t- tell us what you remember about how you felt to see Avery, who had been chasing this dream a long time get to kind of stand on top of the mountain, which you, you'd firmly, you'd built a house up there on top of the mountain by this time, but he's still <laughs> trying to climb and to right. see him put that putt in and, uh, and get that world title at the same time you had. Yeah, it was pretty insane because we, this is a time where in final nine still existed. And so I was finishing up my final nine and it wasn't close going into the final nine. I end up, you know, winning my third world title. So I'm, I'm used to this feeling, but in my head, I'm going, Avery's final nine is about to start and he's, he's got a chance like this could be incredible. And in my head, I don't know if I thought about how cool it would be brother, sister cheering Avery on. Sure. And so I remember even having my interviews after the round, I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me. I got to go. Yeah. I need to go watch what Avery's doing and, uh, insane. you hear it a lot when people are saying, you know, when you're playing on the course, of course you're nervous, but you have control of the situation. Yes. But when you're caddying or, or watching somebody you love compete, it's so much more scarier. Oh, your heart is racing. You're wanting them to make every putt, but it's yeah. As excited as they are, you're twice as excited as hurt as they are. You're twice as hurt. And so it's like, I need to be there for every moment of this. And it was so historic and I'll still remember when he threw that putt in, in the sudden death playoff against Josh Anthon, our whole, like, I feel like it was almost like as monumentous as James Conrad throwing it in. That's how I felt my family. We just bombarded Avery. I mean, we chased him down, tackled him down. My mom screaming, my dad's on the bag. I mean, we were all there in full support of him and, I, it was the most incredible moment for our family. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it, we may never see that again. You know, the brother-sister thing and, and two people at the top of the sport at the same time. Pretty special. And it's so cute. And Paige Shue, mm-hmm. Paige Bjorkis, she did grow up playing with her brother. Yeah. And I remember her saying that. And she would tell the story of it. I saw when Avery and Val won their world title and my brother and I, we wanted to do the same. So there's still a chance out there Paige. but yeah. I, I, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, that's just really incredible. That is great. So then, uh, you did win, you did win the 2016 worlds, but there was a little time off there. Not that you weren't trying your hardest, but there was a lot of players kind of coming up in the game. You see Paige Pierce, popping up in 2011 as a very have the margins and then who got second i guess we i guess we might you can wikipedia that and i'll cry yeah how many how many seconds is it in that span it's a lot three four maybe yeah 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 Uh, hokum when she won her first worlds yep it was the putt yep 
that putt won her worlds. Um, 2011, Paige and I were tied, or maybe I was one back going into that final nine. And I had all the confidence in the world that I was going to win that worlds. And it just fell short as that final nine went on and yeah. lost by a few down the stretch. Three shots and you tied going in just like you remember it. Oh yeah. It hurts. Um, 2010, I was nowhere, nowhere close. So that was after my three straight 2010, I was nowhere. Close. Sometimes it's good to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of close calls and that's, it was frustrating yeah. because that is the, the pinnacle of our sport. That yeah. is what you are aiming. You're aiming to be the world champion. You know, you can win the, the squirrel open, but if you told somebody on the street that you're the squirrel open champion, they don't care. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. So you tell somebody you're a world champion in any sport you play, it's going to be, you know, well-received and recognized as a great accomplishment. So I think that's why it means the most to players. Yeah. And I remember that 2016 final very well because I was walking, watching all the women play. The final was you, Katrina, Paige, and Sarah Hookham. And it was like, it was the Paige and Cat era now a little bit. Like you were, you were still one of the best players. But I think on that open course, the narrative was a little more about the, the amazing power of Pierce or whatever. But what I remember watching you, that final was like, perfection like I don't know that you made a mistake in those nine holes it was like it might not have been the hugest drive but you were hitting your spot you're getting to your next spot and making a putt and that's borne out right here I mean they had to chase you so they had to play all out but you shot 29 in the world final nine holes Katrina Allen 36 Paige Pierce 36 Sarah Hokum 33 so just dominant coming down the stretch. And I remember just going, she hasn't made a mistake. She hasn't made a mistake as we were watching it. Just like, this is the most perfect golf you could possibly play in a really big moment. So yeah, that must've felt good after all those seconds and to come back and, and win that one. Oh yeah. And a lot of people said that was an incredible comeback. And for me at every tournament I played, I was always right there. Yeah. So if any, anybody ahead of me were to slip up, I was going to take that win because yeah. I was, I had, was so focused, but there were parts of my game plan that would hold me back as these bigger throwers started to come out in the field. I mean, Paige, Katrina, they could reach holes that I couldn't reach. So I was kind of forced to play the safe route. And thankfully that is what ultimately won me the worlds. There yeah. was that one hole they're going big out over the I out of bounds. It. I think and, it's about hole 13 in the current layout of the, uh, the GBO or, or the dynamic disc open. It's yeah. about three, 400 feet, 350 OB down that right side. But if you go aggressive, you're hanging out over B over, over OB very, very early. Mm -hmm. And they have to throw full max distance shot. And then at the very end, it comes back into inbounds and both of them. I was thankfully first on the tee. I think that the, way that this all laid out was great. Cause I did get the honors because I birdied the hole before. So I'm first on the tee. I know my game plan. I'm just going to play it safe, play the hole for par while in their minds, they're going aggressive. Well, they need the birdie. Yeah. They need the birdie. And for them, that's their safe route. So they end up going out of bounds, not once, but twice. And while I'm in bounds. So it's one of those things they go out of bounds but they know they can reach it. So they try again. Yeah. And so the strokes just started to build up while I'm just sitting back there going, 
oh my God, they're just handing it. Yeah. To me. It's going to be, a, it's just going to be a walk in now. Yeah. And I remember just being flooded with nerves as I'm throwing my upshot and then I tap in for my par, walk to the next hole. And of course I have the T still. And I just remember tell, like talking to myself and just telling myself to focus. And that was the most intense that I feel like I've ever been on the course. Uh, normally I would be walking around, looking around, talking to people, super relaxed. I just really enjoyed being out on the course. And I, of course, know a bunch of people out there in Kansas and I couldn't look anybody in the face. I couldn't break that focus. Uh, and I just kept charging ahead. That was the fifth hole of the finals. You made a three Katrina, a seven and, or a five and page a seven. So again, your memory spot on, uh, those, they were having uh, trouble with the out of bounds. I know that final nine sometimes get assigned a round rating. They aren't official. They don't, they're kind of weird, mm-hmm. but I think it reflects the level you're 1033, uh, in that for that final, I think that is reflect that's indicative of the kind of golf you were playing to bring home that title, uh, that day in Emporia. So I, that will stick with me yeah. for a long time. It was an amazing performance, uh, to win that thing. And $5,000, I think probably the biggest payday of your career. It was pretty big. Yeah. yeah certainly for a win. It, in, if I sort you by, unless you got more for a second, which I have, I can't imagine there was a second place bigger than that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Japan Open, uh, those would be the biggest wins that I had, but I guess yep. I, I didn't make the conversion as soon as I got that. But sure. It always felt big. Oh, yeah. Well, and it would not, not to say that it wasn't. <laughs> you get a stack of yen that large. I'm, I'm guessing that this <laughs> I'm guessing that this 5000 was a, was an all time record for a women's payout at the time. Yeah, it was pretty which good. which yeah. happy, happy to say that we're smashing that year after year now. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm guessing that that was the biggest payout in women's disc golf history when you won it because yeah. 5000 was not messing around back in the, and still isn't, but in those days it was like, Oh my goodness. Like right. that's for disc golf. That's great. That's incredible. But yeah, great. That's your fourth world title. Amazing thing. And I won that with Ricky. Yeah. With Rick for also Ohio guy. So yep. you know how to pick him. You went one with Nate, not just an Ohio guy. He yeah. grew up playing my same course. Yeah. yeah. Roscoe, you and like, Park. and like being around your family and like just kind of this little kid. Yeah. Wanting little to learn. Ricky. And yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> My mom was just telling the stories the other day because it it is funny how far removed you feel as soon as somebody starts, you know, with so much success. Sure. But he was like every other kid that you see out on the course. Yeah. Just super excited about the sport. But at the same time, you're going, all right, kid, you know, yeah. quit wasting your money, you know, but he was so all about practicing, loved um, playing in the weekly events he was all in and he only lived a couple blocks from the course. So that helped too. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, uh, I guess talk to you a little bit more about now getting into kind of the end of your career. You still played a few more seasons after that, but then retired at what the, the ripe old age of maybe 31 or 32. Do you remember when 2018, so yeah, roughly 31 or 32, somewhere in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good at math. Yeah. That's okay. We don't, we, <laughs> we, that's what we have Jared for. Jared will get it. He'll edit this all later and it, the right numbers will come out of our mouths. It's Perfect. incredible what he can do. Him and Anna there, they, they'll work their magic. So we'll, we'll sound like geniuses once this is, once this comes out. Uh, well, fully. then you might as well say I'm 
I was 23. You retired at 23. <laughs> you, you, you write the story. Yeah, you, you reti- just pick your age and we'll, yeah. we'll make it work. Yeah. <laughs> retired at 23 with almost every title you could ever imagine. Started just battling at age nine, winning world <laughs> championships. Incredible. Exactly. But yeah, so, you know, that's kind of that next phase uh, for you and for Nate and and going in and having the brewery and bevel and kind of kind of like a hard stop to uh competitive disc golf but still staying very active uh with like promoting the women's game so kind of a million part question here but just wanted to hear about kind of some of the stuff you're doing now your passion for craft beer and also discgolfforwomen.com and and pdga women's committee and the stuff you're working on these days Okay. Where do we start with that one? Yeah. So well, you're only 24 years old. I understand if it's a tough question, you know? So I had always been motivated, uh, to support women's disc golf because I looked up to my mom. My mom's a three-time masters world champion, an incredible athlete, constantly dedicating and, and volunteering her time as well as my dad. They were the leaders that I looked up to. Yeah. Um, I also grew up with Elaine King. My mom and Elaine would compete all the time. And I just knew that, you know, once I developed that path to follow, you know, I wanted it to get bigger for women. I wanted these payouts yeah. to be bigger. Um, and a, a side note to all of this, um, you know, I had a sponsor in yeah. the champion discs and there were many moments throughout my sponsorship where they made me feel like I didn't deserve what I got mm. um, in comparison to the men on the team. And so throughout my career, so I got sponsored in 2004. I yeah. mean, one of the most amazing moments of my life, knowing that, you know, somebody recognized me as a, a great player. Yeah. And of course, Avery was on the team at this time. So I'm like, all right, this will be a great fit, you know. I mean, how loved do you feel? So, I mean, throughout my career, I'm, I'm winning all the, I'm winning worlds. I'm winning national tours. I am at the top of my game. And unfortunately I never got the, the gratitude that they were giving the men on the team. Yeah. You know, I never had my name on a signature disc, you know, while my brother, when he won his first, he got his name on a disc when I won my third. So it was pretty heartbreaking being on a team and constantly having to feel like, ugh, this isn't enough. What do I got to do? Yeah. So it's a lot of things behind the scenes that I don't feel like people knew sure. was going on. Sure. And so those world's losses were more heartbreaking than you could ever imagine because it was me fighting to prove myself. Yeah. So with that, um, so 2009, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to get my fourth world title, still be at the top of my game. Um, but realizing what more can I do? What else can I do to give back to the sport? Yeah. And so I come up with the idea, thankfully with, um, we were sponsored by keen footwear. Yeah. They were doing a program of fundraising. And so we all raised a thousand dollars through selling discs. Thank you to everybody out there that bought one. Um, and I said, you know, what kind of organization could I do to support the women in the game, you know, can encourage the growth, um, bring women together in a supportive way. 
and I created discgolferwomen.com. So it started off as a website. Um, I don't even know what I initially thought I would do, maybe tips or videos or something like that. But it launched into a Facebook group, which wasn't something I dreamed up, but it soared. Nice. It was the first opportunity for women to network, uh, talk about problems that they're having on the course, ask about advice about, on discs or you know what I should throw. How do I become a better putter? All these things that I don't think were ever offered to women. Yeah. And so it was really cool to see that happen through that. Um, I became kind of spotlighted as, oh, this is Valerie Jenkins. She's a women's promoter. Like, let's put all eyes on her. Rebecca Duffy reaches out to me and asks if I want to be on the PDGA women's committee and lead the committee. Mm. So this is all starting to pile on. I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. I want to grow the women's game. Give me more responsibilities. And so I created a committee um, of incredible women that I knew throughout the sport. And we came up with the women's global event. So we, in 2012 is when we had the first women's global event, the most massive disc golf tournament for women now in these days that we've had it every other year since then skipping the COVID year, but it was an idea developed to bring more women to the course to compete against one another on your own local event and then compete against everybody with your score worldwide via the rating system. So just for the listeners, it's, it's encouraging events all over the world. And this is something you can do locally next time the women's global event comes around there's satellite events all over the world. Get as many women out as you can. There's prizes and champions of each individual event, but then you look at the PDGA player ratings and you can crown champions of the whole women's global event all over the world in all the different age divisions and, and amateur classifications and professional classifications. Right, right, exactly. So just developing that event, and that was kind of my pride and joy for so many years. Um, but I did step away from the women's committee in 2018. And that was kind of when we started developing all these things for Bevel. You know, we really thought of the idea back in 2016 and it was just, all right, how do we get this idea going? We're still fully involved in disc golf. We still, I was a world champion at that time, Yeah. but then we are trying to transition our way away from the sport and into this new kind of life goal. Yeah. It was really hard to do. Um, it, it's easy. We were so used to being on tour about 14 years that I had been doing it. You know, I I knew what tournaments to sign up for. I knew what house we were going to stay along the way, you know, so it was easy to do that, but to totally put that on its head and go, Nope, I don't think we're going to do that anymore. We're going to start a brewery. I mean, we didn't know what the heck we were getting into. Yeah. So it's been an interesting ride, but I don't regret a thing about it. Yeah. We we gave the sport of disc golf, everything we had. I mean, I won all the great tournaments and looking back, it's pretty remarkable, but in the, in the moment of winning those, it was my job. Sure. You know, I did celebrate them. I did enjoy them, but now looking back, I mean, it was, it was an incredible career. Yeah. And I think 
more than just as a player, obviously as a pioneer and a champion of women's disc golf in general, I think, you know, your struggle is analogous to the struggle of women's sports across the board where the recognition is just not there. The treatment is not equal uh, and continues to be that way, but hopefully those lines are coming together over time, but that's because people like you have put in work and tried to build those opportunities and build those platforms. So I think the current generation of players, men and women, definitely owe you a thank you for that, for that kind of work, aside from just inspiring people with your play, but then doing this other stuff behind the scenes to better the game, leave the game better than you found it. And that's what I could only hope. I mean, I dealt with it for so many years of, you know, we, we can't put a woman's name on a disc because it won't sell. That is what I heard time and time again. And to me, you know, they didn't believe in me. They didn't want to support me. And I didn't want that to happen to any other woman on the team. You know, I was on the mountaintop. Yeah. And the view from that mountaintop was not good. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, this was brought to light. It was crazy how the timing of everything happened. I mean, there was a lot of women speaking out and, and fighting for their rights to, you know, equal pay and, you know, women's equal pay in sports as well. And the Me Too movement started happening around this time. So it was crazy how it all peaked at this one moment, but it was so important that I put focus on that. You know, it was the beginning of the season. I wanted to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. And I I do hope that it changes for the future. And I do hope that women on any disc golf team or any woman that's trying to make their way up the ranks is fighting for what they deserve. Yeah, they do deserve it. And I mean, it's clearly it is changing. I think, don't you? I think you would agree that it's getting it's the progress is being made, not to say that the fight is over. Yeah. And I am so happy to see it. I mean, I'm so happy to see when a Paul Macbeth disc drops, a Paige Pierce disc drops as well. Things are becoming more equal and I'm I'm so happy to see it. Yeah. And those Paige Pierce discs are selling. Amazing. I love it. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, before we get to our fan questions, which I'm sure we have quite a few of them, we can let you get back to your evening. Uh, Will we ever see you play? an elite, another elite series event. Not likely. Not likely. Wait a minute. There's room there. Yeah. I just, you know, the thing is if I'm playing a tournament, I want to win that. Sure. Game. Sure. It'd be, and it's I'm going to be pissed if I don't win it. Yep. And if I'm, I'm not ready to compete at that level to me, I just don't feel. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense me. to me. That makes sense to me. Cause you, you you remember disc golf from the mountaintop in a way, and I know you still play casually sometimes, you know. But like they got to drag me out there, Nate. They do. I swear, it's yeah. not easy to get you, huh? And it's funny because even throughout my career, I, I did not like playing practice rounds, uh, and I was very vocal about that. I I always needed something to play for. Yeah, and I always wanted to just have that competition. And that's what pushed me. And so playing a practice round, I'm like, who cares if I throw this in the bush? Who cares if I miss this putt? Yeah. I needed something to fuel me to play better, to hit that line. Yeah. It's that like higher focus that what in, of that competition that really drove me. And that's, I think, why I stuck with the sport yeah. for so long, because I 
I wanted to win. I knew I could throw the good shots or make the good putts, but yeah, that's my favorite part of it. Me and Jared will play you for 20 bucks. Oh, I'll crush you. Let's go. (laughs) Just where, where do Uh I send the money to now? (laughs) You can PayPal me. It's all good. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and you're right, Nate. We uh, we did ask our fans for some questions, and we got a, a ton of them that came in. Um, so, Val, if you don't mind uh, taking a few fan questions. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, we got one in our email from uh, Michael Hahn, who's uh, actually a local guy in Buffalo here. You can check out Michael Hahn Disc Golf Blog. Um, but he says, uh, as someone who is just beginning tournament directing, I would like to know if you have any tips that would help entice women to sign up? Hmm. There's, it's different. I mean, the, we, this is a whole other topic, but the reason the motivations for men and women to play tournaments is different. The reason that women stick around, I think they got to be competitive. That's the first thing. That's how we draw women in. So maybe, uh, reaching out to other sports or organizations and trying to get those women involved um, and, and making it a good time, making sure that women are enjoying themselves, make sure you have enough bathrooms out on the course, Michael. Um, I think those are kind of the things that bring new women players to the sport, just being accommodating, um, ensuring that it's going to be a fun time regardless of how they play. Uh, but for the, a pro event for the elite event. I just want to make sure that the course is ready for me. The thing, you know, out of bounds is flagged. I have the right information, you know, all the things you would expect. Um, if you were to ask a guy, what, what makes a tournament enjoyable? Those are the things, you know, it always comes down to the course and how prepared the tournament director is, you know, you can have the putting competitions and the players party. That's all bonus, but make sure the course is ready for the tournament players. Okay. Awesome. There you go, Mike. Uh, Luke Butch sends into the email. Val. Butchy. Yeah. (laughs) He's a a local Buffalo guy here as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He he was just visiting a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He made it it across the country. Uh, In fact, I found a putter of his the other day that I got. And uh, we got a little, we have to do a meetup here. So I I got your putter. Butchy, you was in the water. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was, I saw a post. It was like lost putter. And I'm like, man, that's the one that I picked up today. And, uh, so yeah, I got your putter, man. I didn't lose it yet, but we, <laughs> we should, we should meet up soon. Cause my bag's getting thin. Um, Val, you can only choose one beer and one disc for the rest of your life. What do you choose? I'm going to choose. Bevel first run IPA and I haven't been throwing that many discs lately, but I feel like when I go out, it's a fun round and I am loving the meteor Discraft is the meteor. It's just the straight flyer, make these awesome turnover shots. So I could get some good distance if the hole was longer. So yeah, first run and a meteor. Let's go. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. <clears throat> um, 
Jarrett from Buffalo asks, uh, watching these incredible purses go up, there's never a time when you and Nate are sitting around the, the fire at Bevel after a long night and saying, let's, let's go out there and make a run at this $10,000 purse this weekend. I mean, it, it's, it's got to be enticing to you guys. Mm, no. <laughs> I mean, you... Uh, you don't know what it's like to be a touring professional until you're out there trying to make a living off of every shot that you throw. I mean, I don't think people understand. Like now these players look like these incredible superstars living the most lavish life. But at the same time, they're living in their van. I mean, they're parking it outside of friends' houses. You know, it, it's a, a very vagabond lifestyle and so they are giving it everything they have of course sacrificing so many other things i mean that not having a house or you know not having a dog or not having kids not getting married these people sacrifice a lot to commit themselves to the pro tour and you know it's something they and i did forever and now kind of having this more uh domestic lifestyle is actually it, it's incredible I mean, I never lived this way. You know, I was a kid getting into the sport. I was on tour for so many years. And now to, to have a house, to have a, a shower, <laughs> to have you know, a paycheck that comes in from a company that we built. I mean, there's no looking back now. Um, we are loving what we're doing. I feel like kind of what you're saying is all those years that you were out there killing it and all your fans were like, man, she's living the dream. It turns out maybe they were living the dream. Yeah. You it, got, you want to switch, do, the, pull an old switcheroo. Yeah, the, the grass, grass is always greener. Exactly. Yeah. You're saying, yeah. Perfect. You know, and I'm thinking about the player, even just in the round today. I mean, I'm traveling out there with Nate. So our tea times are completely different. You know, I spent most of my time just hanging out in the van waiting for my tea time. You know, yeah. it isn't this extravagant lifestyle. It's, there should be a there should be a documentary on a disc golfer just to give everybody what the true reality is of being out there. Sounds like a very selfish answer, Val. We want you and Nate out there playing, and you're just willing <laughs> Wait, who's to just... selfish here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Well, if we if she if she wins the twenty bucks off us, which she probably will, Jarrett, she'll then she'll have a taste, and we'll see, um, let's see what where we go from there after she's got that forty bucks. So Fair enough. The, the last tournament I played was 2018, um, the Zoo Town Open. That was actually Nate and I's last tournament that we played. And so we haven't been PDGA members. We haven't played tournaments. The last tournament I played up to that point, I just played in the Women's Global event this year. Mm. And although the biggest names weren't there, I did win. Hey, so come back. That's the, yeah. Don't call it a comeback. You're on a winning I was streak. always here. But I just on, didn't play. You're still on a, you're on a winning streak. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to ruin that, I guess. <laughs> Got a, uh, a fun question here from uh, Jay Van from Indy in our Instagram. And uh, he asks, uh, is, have, do you guys have favorite disc colors or least favorite disc colors when you were for you, Val, when you were out there and for you now, Nate, like, is there, like when you're like, Hey, send me red destroyers or definitely don't send me any green. Is there preferences? Does it matter? I mean, I know, 
other than the fact that everyone knows red discs go faster and farther. So let's take that out of the equation. Other than that, is there uh, any preferences? It never really threw red. Maybe that was my problem oh, all along. See, now you got to come back. You got to try <laughs> these spicy reds. <laughs> it was so funny. I remember when I was an up and coming pro and I remember like setting my bag, I wanted it to all be pink. I don't think that ever happened for me, but I do favor. You can look at my bag right now. It's just a few feet away. There's a lot of pink discs in that bag. She speaks truth. But it, you got to love what the disc looks like. And if it looks cool, it's going to go the farthest. You're going to throw it the best because you just love the way it looks. That's how I sell discs at Bevel anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I, have some, I have some little preferences. I do not like green stamps. They look bad on every color. So don't be sending me any of these green foil stamps. I don't like them. I don't like shiny stamps on my putters because, you know, I'm down for a little flip before the putt. Uh-huh. And when Line. it's sunny, you're catching kind of glare all over the place. So give me a matte <laughs> stamp on the putter, please. Well, you should be looking at the basket. Well, I'm trying, but it's glaring. You oh. know, it's like the light. I'm looking at the basket. I'm not looking at I'm not looking directly into the sun here, but it's just like flash and every flip. It's like, I can see that. you know, so no, no reflective stamps on the putters and no shiny green stamps, period. Not that they wouldn't make my bag if the disc is awesome, but like if I had my choice, those ones are getting left behind. Or if I got to do a giveaway, if you're if you're like calling me up for a charity giveaway, you're probably getting yourself a green stamp. It's, that's going to be the first <laughs> ones off the top that are going to head out for a charity giveaway. Oh yeah, right. Remind me to ask you about something when we get off this too. Um, <laughs> no, um, and you know, as a side note, obviously our listeners are very well educated. Uh, he did have a second part to that question, Nate, and it was for me. He asks when Innova finally offers me the sponsorship deal that I deserve, what my signature disc is going to be. Um, all the good ones are taken, so they would probably develop something new for me. It would be the uh, Champion or, but it would be O-A-R. Uh, and it would be like an overstable driver, but also like a really good putter. Uh, but most importantly, I'd go with the or because it would have to be a strong tool in the water because I spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so that is... Uh, that is his that's his answer on that one um and we got a few more here from instagram and then we'll let val go because i know that you guys were like you know doing stuff all day um on the on the microphone so i appreciate your your time here val um let's see here who was your no i know you talked about it a little bit but uh who was the go-to oh this is from uh disc golf who was the go-to player for advice in the beginning of your career? And also, Val, do you think players nowadays have a distinct advantage for faster improvement with all of the information that is right at their fingertips? Huh. So the first question, who did I go to for advice? It's so funny because, you know, I talk about, you know, kind of being rebellious, not wanting to get into the sport of disc golf. And I really did my best to learn it on my own. Although Avery is like the biggest supporter that you could ever imagine and always wanted to give me advice, but I couldn't, we just always clashed on that. I was like, stop telling me what to do. I got this. Um, But there were times throughout my career. I mean, he, of course, was always there through my ups, my downs. And so I would say 
he was the best one to go to for advice. And, and he, I knew he would always have my back and he knew the sport so well, he knew technique so well. And so, uh, he, he truly did help me along the way. So I would say Avery for sure. And the second one, yeah, obviously players are getting better. We have so much more ability to you, all these YouTube videos that are out there, all these podcasts, seeing disc golf live just about every weekend. I mean, it's incredible the amount of information that people can get nowadays about the sport of disc golf, where when we were growing up and playing, you had to be out on the course watching these players. You had to go out and you know, do your own practice and figure out your game. I even remember clinics when they were first starting out. I'm going, I don't even know how I learned how to do this. This is just how I play. But now you hear, you know, these are the ways that disc golf is being taught. You know, there are instructions and that's how players are learning. But back when we were starting, it was just, you just figured it out on your own. You watched what other people were doing and you just tried to be better than that. So I think uh, it is a huge advantage. So I'm, I am hoping everybody is soaking everything in. Strangely enough, exact same answer for me. Avery Jenkins was my go-to guy for advice when I was a young pro and definitely new players have an advantage in the YouTube generation. But for sure, Avery was the guy I was looking up to uh, and Dave Felberg as well, but more so Avery just because he was big, strong, cool guy and he liked to throw big forehands. And that was kind of how I wanted to approach the game. And early in my pro career, he was definitely a guy I was going to go, Hey man, so what, how do I do this? Or what, what, which hotel should I book at? And where can I get a room with you guys? And just trying to, trying to piggyback on him as much as I possibly could when I was, uh, when I was first starting out. Well, I think uh, I'm going to cut you off here, Val. I'm not going to keep pounding you with questions. We have a ton of them, but I appreciate all of this time that you've given us. I've been so excited about getting you on the podcast. Nate and I talked about this months ago and we were like, oh, yeah, we'll get Val for sure because, you know, doing live commentary out in Bend. And then we just never were able to put it together. And now here we are all this time later. But uh, I'm happy we were able to to finally get you in and get you on and uh, hear your story. It's just uh, amazing the things that you have been able to accomplish uh, you know, two of the uh, the biggest names in, in the history of disc golf and, and your husband, Nate Doss, and your brother, Avery Jenkins. And uh, they both reiterated and drove home the fact that you were definitely the shining star in the family in disc golf. And uh, I think that that's just, uh, that's just absolutely amazing. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, your commentary is uh, amazing uh, on, the, on the Disc Golf Network. Um, I love checking it out. I get just as excited for the FPO as I do the MPO. I, to me, it doesn't matter, men or women. I love watching great disc golf, and, uh, and we've been getting it on both sides. So uh, it's been awesome having you do that as well. Is there anything that you want to plug for, uh, for Bevel here? Any uh, Visit the Facebook, the website. I know masks are back in Oregon, um, uh, but We're you guys are... <laughs> you guys are uh, you guys are still open and, and rocking and rolling. Where can everybody find you guys? Heck yeah. You can find us in Bend, Oregon, 911 Southeast Armor. <laughs> no, come visit us. We don't distribute our beer. I'm sure that's going to be questions popping up on this video. We don't distribute. You've got to come to the source and try it for yourself. And thank you for saying that you're enjoying the, the commentary because as much work as we're putting into Bevel, you know, I've 
I've thought back and forth on if I should still be involved with the sport, still give it all this time. I mean, it's basically like I'm playing tournaments all over again. I, I thought I was going to get my weekends back uh, leaving the tour, but I'm, we were volunteering our time in the beginning and I just didn't know how it was all going to pan out. And the biggest driving force was for me is to continue to talk about women's disc golf. I wanted to be there in even though I'm not playing, be there and support the women because they are incredible athletes and somebody should be there acknowledging that. So thank you for saying that. And I hope you come out, Jared, come check us out at Bevel. We're having a good time. Everything's been open. Of course, lots of restrictions and craziness throughout this past year, but we've got an incredible team and we have been charging forward and it's getting successful, more successful every month that goes on. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, my parents are, my parents are Oregonians, so they live in Oregon. So at some point I will absolutely uh, be at Bevel is something that I'm looking forward to. And as a side note, I want to say, I know that he was there earlier helping you guys get set up. Um, I saw uh, your husband, Nate Doss, uh, put a post up on Facebook last week, uh, addressing some of the the comments and stuff for the Nate does an amazing job and I absolutely love having him in the booth and hearing him call disc golf and knowing that I am getting the, not the opinion of somebody who just loves the sport, but somebody who truly knows and understands what it takes to be successful and play at a top level and understands that. And uh, as a fan, I couldn't appreciate it anymore what he's doing as well. And I think he's doing an amazing job. Thank you for saying that. And I am biased, but I completely agree with you. And, and it is just as hard as it is to be a touring professional disc golfer. It is very hard doing the job of being on the mic and not sounding like an idiot every five to 10 minutes, because that's a lot of talking that we have to do. And it's been fun to have Nate Sexton here with us joining it and seeing what it takes to come up with these crazy ideas and to keep the conversation going. And some of these rounds can really drag on and it, it really takes a lot to continually be on your game at all times. You're going to say stupid stuff, but you just keep powering through and you know, they're doing it for the betterment of the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, professional journalists and, and professional broadcasters, uh, you know, who could probably call this golf. But as far as I'm concerned, it wouldn't mean as much coming from someone like that rather than coming from somebody who's a two-time world champion and who's been out there and understands the shots and the game and exactly what the players are feeling while they're standing on the box. Uh, you can see that, feel that, and it's just, uh, it's, it's appreciated. And I just want him to know that, you know, I think he's doing an amazing job and uh, as well. Three-time world champion. <laughs> Three-time, excuse me. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. Means even more now. I cut, I cut I, yeah, I cut one, I cut one off of them there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just, it, it's amazing. And I, I feel bad that he even felt like he had to address that. And, uh, you know, I guess one of the things to remember is that when, as long as you have haters, you're still doing it right. When the haters go away, that's when you need to worry. <laughs> I love it. So, 
Well, thank you so much, Val. Like I said, this was uh, this was awesome for me. I love being able to uh, to kind of hear the story of how uh, some of the disc golf got started. A lot of our fans, as you know, in the sport of disc golf right now, uh, are just coming into the sport. And we get messages after we do these episodes of people that are like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how amazing, you know, whoever it was, was on. And uh, all those messages that I got were like, oh my God, I can't believe how great, you know, Paige really was, you know, back looking through her career or Elaine King or uh, Juliana Corber. And uh, you were, you were in there competing with all of them. So uh, very impressive. And uh, I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. And my pleasure. And it was an abbreviated version. All the stories are coming into my head right now. So if you do want to hear more stories, oh, we do. You got to come visit us at Bevel. I'll tell you the. Well, we're going to make you go the on the dirt. podcast again. You start saying stuff like that. You're <laughs> going to have to be another guest after a little while. We'll give you a short break, but okay, yeah. You get the stories ready, and and we'll we'll be here ready to record them. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. I feel. I feel like this is the second time this happened. I feel like Avery left us, and he kind of said the same thing. He was like, "Man, oh, I got yeah. a lot more stories," and I'm like, "Well, we'll oh. get them both back." Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right. Thank you so much, Val. Of course. Thank you. Well, Nate, I've been waiting for a long time to have Val come on the show and uh, her resume is just amazing. Uh, That family um, with the Jenkins and then you throw Nate Doss in the mix. They've really been a, uh, a big part of what disc golf's been over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years. Right. Absolutely. I mean, she's, we're, we're getting pretty close to checking off the, the true Titans uh, of this game uh, on the podcast. She was one of the, she was the heaviest hitter that we hadn't had yet. So I was really excited to get her on the show. I think we need to get some, get our targets set on maybe a Barry Schultz. Uh, we're getting close to the, the end of the line though, as far as multiple time major champion legendary players. And that's absolutely what Val is. So I'm really glad we got to talk to her and hear a little bit of her story about how she came to disc golf and how she kind of, I think left disc golf is the wrong way to say it, but left competitive disc golf. Yeah. Uh, you know, her and Nate were able to uh, walk away and she, you know, you heard her explain it. She's, she's living her dream right now. She's living her best life and working with her, her husband, who's her partner in business and they're making beer and just uh, doing all the things that they want. And uh, like I said, I joked around about it being selfish, but I can't help but think like, wow, you know, they could still be playing at a, at a top level and they were able to just walk away and uh, hearing a little bit of Al's story. And obviously Nate Doss, who you could check out in our archives, uh, uh, they're posted everywhere, including our YouTube page at Running It With Nate Sexton. Um, it's just uh, you understand that they they did what they wanted to do and they walked away with their their chin up and, and happy. And it's cool to see. Oh, definitely. I mean, they're both younger than I am. And uh, and but they've also done it for a lot longer than I did. And they did it at a time when it was harder than it is now in terms of the money that could be made and the support that they could get from their sponsors. So they made their choice that was right for them. And, and Bevel's fantastic. I mean, you got to get down there. If you're ever in Bend, it's really fun. It's really cool to see the success that that project is ha- having and how passionate they are about their, their next venture. Now, Nate, as we're recording this right now, you're in Bend on the live call for the Disc Golf Network. Uh, what do you have coming up? What's your schedule looking like? Well, man, it's this Delta variant, man, it's got me down. I don't know. I I was planning on playing at MVP and GMC. I have not officially made a decision yet, but it is looking like we're going to need to pull Coraline out of school. Everything I'm reading is saying that 
hospitalizations for kids are way up with the Delta variant. And I just don't feel like I could sleep at night. Um, putting my daughter at undue risk traveling more than I need to. So I think USDGC is a go no matter what, almost, Uh, I feel like that's a major, I gotta, I gotta make that happen and be there and, and try to get back in the winner's circle at the USDGC. Uh, It's looking pretty foggy as far as the other elite series that I had on my schedule. So disappointing, but obviously safety first, and uh, nothing's more important than the health of uh, Coraline for me. Well, absolutely. It makes a, a ton of sense. And it's, uh, I know Oregon is uh, spiking right now, like I've mentioned in the past. Uh, my parents live in Oregon. My dad just texted me and said that, uh, whatever, maybe a few days ago, it was the all-time high in the state of Oregon um, yeah. for the uh, four cases since this began. So I know the Pacific Northwest is, uh, is getting hit again, pretty strong. So um, I'm just hoping that this thing can, can get under control. And obviously everyone's health is, uh, is the, of the most importance, especially when it's our children. So yep. uh, there'll, there'll be no fault to that there. So, well, we're enjoying having you on the live coverage uh, for, for this week. You guys can catch it at the, uh, on the disc golf network guys live disc golf is where it's at. I'm telling you that right now. Now, if you miss it, of course, a lot of times you get Nate over on the post-production on Jomez, which is great for, for those of you that can't, but live disc golf is exciting to watch, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. It's a, I mean, we saw some throws today that had me almost up out of my chair. It's, it's, it's great. Looking forward to a, a great finish tomorrow out there at Idlewild. I'll tell you, that's one of the things that I love about disc golf. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's been being griped about a little bit uh, amongst the chatterings and the, the underbellies of disc golf fans and some professionals that have been stoking the fire a little bit about announcers that are uh, screaming, get in, and are too excited during uh, the calls. And I love that about disc golf. We have disc golf fans and disc golf players in the booth, and I love that. They're excited about disc golf, and it makes it more exciting for me to watch the game. So um, I, I think that when you hear the excitement in your guys' voices and you guys being excited to see a big shot, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's not an act. I, I can't change that. No, I, Nobody... I mean, no, you can't make everybody happy no matter what you do. So we're just here trying to do it and, and seeing, seeing the game the way we see it and reacting to it, and we're having a great time. Make sure you're following our Instagram page at Running It With Nate Sexton. Right now, through the end of August, we are going to be doing a giveaway for a Nate Sexton signature Firefly or Firebird. All you have to do is hop on the link, find out how you can get yourself included. We're raising some money for a great cause to go towards the Knoll Family Foundation and getting Bradley's house up and open. If you're a fan of Sublime, if you're a fan of music, or if you or a loved one have been affected by the opioid crisis in America, the Knoll Family Foundation's doing all the right things to try to help. Check out our Instagram page. Find out how you can get yourself included in a drawing to win a Nate Sexton Firebird or Firefly. Remember to check out our sponsors, FisherDiscGolf.com, Hempfield Botanicals, VIIApparel.co. Get your pre-order in on that Running It With Nate Sexton t-shirt while you still can. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us once again. Make sure you follow us on social media, Running It at Nate running it with Nate Sexton on Instagram and on Facebook. He is at Frisbee Nate. I am at or Jarrett. We are out of time. Nate, whether you're on the course or you're in the booth, man, I haven't been noticing you laying it up too much. 
man, is it ever easy to run it from the booth? Let me tell you, I'm running everything from the booth. And we're loving it. We'll see you guys next time.